0: Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders, produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young.
1: Hello Shedders and welcome to a special Men's Health Week edition of the Shed Wireless podcast. The Australian Men's Shed Association acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout all of Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to all Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aborigines and Torres Strait Island listeners today. Before we kick off, if today's episode brings anything up for you, please reach out for help immediately. Lifeline is a 24-hour crisis support and suicide prevention service. Call them on 13 11 or visit lifeline.org.au. Us blokes can be a bit lacklustre when it comes to our health, physical or mental. This Men's Health Week is about breaking down the barriers to getting the help that we might need. It might be DIY, things you can do yourself to keep your vehicle on the road in tip-top shape... Or it might be finding the right health professional to make sure we're living longer, healthier and happier lives. Here's what we'll be talking about in today's episode. If you were a rugby league fan of the 70s and 80s, you might remember the name Wayne Wiggum. Well, these days, Wayne's career has taken him from the footy field to Black Dog Institute as a speaker and educator, something he's been doing for 15 years. Wayne is my special guest today, and we had a really raw and honest chat about men, mental health and seeking help. There's no arguing good health is important for a good life, but there are barriers that get in the way of keeping your body and mind in good nick, and sometimes we need help to break them down. It asked the doc, AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance and Healthy Males Associate Professor Tim Moss discuss five factors that prevent men from seeking information and support when it comes to their health and well-being. G'day, you mob. This is Ernie Dingo, and you're on the Shed Wilds with my mate, John Paul Young, or JPY, or I don't know what other leathers we're going to call him. But don't forget, fellas, if you don't have a hammer, use a screwdriver. Here's something for you at the If you were a rugby league fan in the 70s and 80s, you might remember the name Wayne Wiggum. Wayne was first diagnosed with depression at the age of 10 and has experienced dealing with the illness through schooling, a teaching career, 10 years as a professional rugby league player, and 11 years as a professional firefighter and business owner. All through these careers, Wayne battled through misdiagnosis of his illness, drug and alcohol abuse, through self-medication and relationship difficulties. Wayne's personal journey highlights the fact that mental illness can affect anyone. Wayne is passionate about breaking down the stigma of mental illness and the absolute importance of recognising symptoms and seeking help at the first opportunity. Wayne, what a journey. Welcome. Who is Black Dog Institute and what do they do?
2: The Black Dog Institute was one of the first places started in the world to deal with anxiety and depression. We basically have three divisions. We have a research department where we you know, keep up to date and try to find new treatments and ways to identify it, you know, and ways to treat it. Um, We have an education department who I work with. We do workplace, uh, rural remote communities, community groups, trying to break the stigma and encourage people to seek help. And we've got um, a treatment part where we have psychiatrists and psychologists who actually meet with people and treat them for their and diagnose and help them with their illnesses. So three divisions, um, you know, really great place. How did you get involved with Black Dog Institute? John, I suffered from depression from the time I was about six, but we didn't know what it was. My mum and dad knew there was something wrong with me. I was always crying. Um, I was running away from school or anywhere I got taken and left. Um, Back then... They took me to a, a psych, but really they didn't have much clue about things back then, so just put me on tranquilizers, and that didn't work, just sent me to sleep at school. So I really struggled through school and struggled through high school, um, and eventually, mate, look, the bottom line is the black dog finally, after a really bad time until I was about 50, they finally diagnosed me the correct way and gave me the correct diagnosis, which led to my recovery. So I started volunteering for them, speaking to mines and blue-collar men and construction sites, you know, 15 years ago when it wasn't really talked about. But I was so grateful for them helping me, and I so much wanted no other men to go through, or women for that matter, but at the time, you know, I was doing the blue collar stuff. I didn't want men to struggle and hide it like I did. It became a bit of a passion for me. So the Black Dog gave me an outlet, you know, for that mission. And um, that was why I stay and joined the Black Dog.
1: Now, you, you mentioned going to work sites and things. How, how do you bring this subject up with people?
2: Back when I started, it was a lot different because we really weren't talking about it. But... You know, I have no shame about it. So when I did my talks, I basically went in, John, and said, look, you know, I'm not a weak man. I've played 180 first-grade games. I was brought up around the Balmain, north Ryde area, brought up fighting. I'm a tough bloke, but depression's had me on the ground crying like a little baby. and I'm not ashamed to admit it. So being the ex-NRL footballer helped me put it to his perspective that it was an illness and not a weakness and so I really just looked him in the eye, John, and just spoke from the heart. Um, obviously, I had my black dog presentation. So it was just more, I just spoke to them if my, if, to people who said my brother or someone I loved that I wanted them to understand the truth of the matter. Yeah. So kind of just went in hard from the start based on the black dog research presentation. I just put my own spin to the facts that they had with my own experience.
1: Could could you actually see when you were talking to these people? Could you see in their faces that that they had problems? Could you know? Was that evident to you, or did something that happened later?
2: No one one thing that you get when you've suffered, I suppose, any illness. But I can only talk for depression. You begin, you begin to see it in people's eyes. You begin, not everybody, but I, I yeah I can see it. Um, you know you can see the sadness or the or the lack of light in people's eyes and then you kind of get a lot of people nodding uh, and and, you know you just see them um back then I did get a little bit of abuse you know getting called a soft cock or you know we don't want to talk about this shit here but there was always someone who got up in the room to back me like if I was in a mine you know there'd be you know a couple of times folks had to go at me back then not now but Little goes about, you know, they didn't believe that it was an illness, but there was always someone that got up and said, no, you know, no, I am struggling myself. And usually someone who was big and they all respected and even when I go into the rural remote Indigenous communities, you know, there was always an elder or somebody that got up and kind of said, no, I'm there with it because there's always somebody. So there were some tough times bit, but there was always someone in the room who'd stand up and start the conversation Right 15 years ago, even, John, and now everyone's right on top of it. So now everyone's pretty supportive, really, because we've all either struggled with it ourselves or someone we know or loved um, has struggled. So, you know, none of us haven't been affected by it in one way or the other, really.
1: So here we are. We're, we're helping you shine a light uh, on, on this problem uh, during Men's Health Week, Wayne. Uh, how did you find this help and... and, and- a lot of men struggle asking for that help and, and, and why do
2: you think that is? John, I think as men, you know, we have been brought up to, you know, pull your boots up, you know, pull your socks up, you know, get going, it, it, that, you know, we've got to be strong and hard and any sign of weakness, you know, will let our family down and, you know, we're the rock of the family. But what I say is if we're the rock of the family, so it's just perceiving masculinity in one certain way. But I would say, John, that there's no more beautiful masculine thing than to put your hand up, even if, there is, even if you do feel there's some stigma about it, because then you're setting the example for your family. So, you know, I would say to any man who, you know, is struggling to let go and talk about it because they feel they're being weak, well, you're not. You're brave as you're going through real pain, and by putting your hand up, you know, you're saying, well, in our family, you know, if we get physically or mentally ill, we put our hand up. So it's just redefining, you know, what we see ourselves as men, but seeing that by putting a hand up and setting an example for others in our family not to hide it, John, there's no more tough thing to do. There's no more masculine thing to do. And how we look at ourselves, that's the way to be the rock of the family, you know. So it's just really looking at ourselves. And, you know, blokes our age, we've been brainwashed a bit you know, to be that—that that is what being tough and masculine is. Well, it's just not true, so we've just got to relook at that a little bit. Um, so that's really how I attack it and how I talk to people because um, I believe it.
1: I, I'm sure that, well, my opinion on this is that everybody has depression at some time or another. Do, do you agree with that?
2: Most people will struggle with it at least once in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, one out of four people have it at any given time. So if we look at Australia now, I think there's roughly 26 million, you know, what's up, you know, around 6 million are struggling with it now, today. Yep. And I think that's going to get worse. We've been through some really hard times. But out of that 6 million, 64% of people don't seek help. So that's our problem. Our problem is that 64% of people who just live with it. And that really is heartbreaking and a shame. Um, One of the reasons, you know, a good reason we have such a high suicide rate and attempted suicide rate is that 64% of people that believe it's just them, they think that this is just the way I am and same with anxiety, but it is not the way you are. It is an illness you have. It is not you. But people believe that this is me. With me, John, when I was playing NRL star, like before a game, sometimes I'd be that sad, I'd be crying 10 minutes before we ran on. All right. And I, I didn't know. I hated myself. I thought I'm a football star. You know, everyone's telling me how good I am. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm making good money for a young bloke. Uh, and I thought, I thought I was just a selfish person who didn't um, ex- uh, um, appreciate anything. I thought this was me and I was a bad person. And self hatred comes in if, you know, you, you, you really don't have a massive reason for it. Um, so, you know, they are the type of things that can happen to you. Um, depression, you know, there's lots of ways to look at it. In many ways, I look at it sometimes as overwhelm. You know, we just get overwhelmed with a thousand negatives. And, um, you know, nobody can take, take that. But, look, the three main ways we get depression is, you know, chemical imbalance, which I have. So, you know, the part of my brain that was... Getting sti- only supposed to get stimulated when you feel sad was getting stimulated 24-7. So I need meds all, all my life. There's bipolar, which is another one where you fight, you're fight, you up and down, you know, either flying high or you can't get out of bed. Yes. That one needs meds as well, and a lot of people end up in jail with that one and only get diagnosed in jail because when you're on a manic high, you can really do some things that, you know, aren't you at all. But the main way we get it is circumstantial, you know, and we've got too many hits in life. Uh, one after the other and it can put any anyone away and take anyone down and that kind of overwhelmed feeling of everything negative but the main thing to know is like with my depression or someone who's got it another way or circumstantially or when we get there we all feel the same and we all get the same things mine or yours is no worse than anybody the other thing we have john is men saying well you know, I, you know, my life isn't as bad as this, Blake. I have no right. I shouldn't be depressed, or I shouldn't be anxious because you know my life is fine. Please don't do that, guys. Your pain is real. Your illness is real. It doesn't matter whether we feel we should be there or not. It's an illness, and it can get anybody. And we've all been punched in life really hard the last few years, so. And the other thing is men think they're weak if they're living with it. I, I'd i rather you break my two legs, John, put me over the back fence rather than go through that again. So if you are living with it, I salute your bravery, but I'm asking you to take the next step and go and seek help and, and help me redefine masculinity and set the example for your family. So I think we've just got to relook at all that. But that's what's happening now. Yeah. And it is the way it is right now. That 64%, John, that don't seek help. We've really got to do something about that. We've really got to encourage people to seek help.
1: Well, well, on that, can you explain the process for getting this help? Do you go and see a doctor or a
2: psychologist? Or- so, okay, the best way to do it, you know, for us, go to a GP, make a long appointment yep. and bleed your heart like you might be getting really sad thoughts and thoughts that you think are so strange you wouldn't tell anybody, but that's just not true. Right. We, any, if any of us sat down, if any other people, those guys out there who are or women who are suffering depression, if we sat down together and had a coffee and went through what we think, what we feel, they'd be so similar. So don't try and hide or be ashamed of any of your thoughts or what your negative voices are telling. It's really important to tell the GP everything because the gp can then make a better diagnosis. Depending on what the gp says, they'll probably they could give you a referral to a psychologist. And I ask a question when I go into schools and I ask a question of men and women and everywhere I go. It's a really simplistic question. I say in your life, who are you going to have the most conversations with? And the answer is John yourself. Now with the young you know that and we know that, but many people don't. They think they're the only ones that have that nonstop. You know, what am I going to have for dinner tomorrow? What am I going to see my son? You know, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes when those voices start saying you're a loser, there's no hope, I'm ugly, everyone hates me, if you those type of negative voices, that's a massive sign of um, depression or anxiety if it's telling you to be worried all the time. We assume our children know that everyone has nonstop self-talk but no one actually tells them and it's a really good message to pass around because so many people especially our young if we don't tell them that non-stop self-talk and you know like what well, you know we're talking about you know what I'm doing if we don't tell them that everyone has that they can think they're the only ones and then they're more likely to believe the voices so that's just a simplistic way to do it but when you go to the chippy bleed your heart they could tell you to, they think might think you need a psychologist now psychologists basically train you to con to, combat the negative self-talk and how to deal with it mentally if you get if people think if they think you might have a chemical imbalance like me or many others then they might send you to a psychiatrist now a psychiatrist is really a, a chemist he will listen to all your symptoms listen to what you are and if he thinks you've got a chemical imbalance he'll give you meds that take out that chemical imbalance. So they're the difference between a psych and a psychiatrist, psychologist and a psychiatrist. One of the other big problems we have, John, is there's a real fear about taking medications for depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got a hangover from the one flow over the cuckoo's nest days. Look, I'm on tabs and it, it hasn't impacted me at all. Too many people think it's a weakness or that it's going to change their personality or make them into a dribbling, you know, sleeping Fool, but it just doesn't. The fear of meds is a real big worry. There's no other illness where people would not take their meds if they had to. The other big problem, I've never met anyone, John, in doing this for 15 years, including myself, that if we do need meds, you know, um, we tend to, once we start to feel better, we think, oh, I feel better now. And I've never met anyone who hasn't gone off their meds by themselves because that's just that stigma over the medication and then they fall again sometimes when we get depression from being overwhelmed we might need meds just for four six months just to get us off the ground yeah you a space where we're well enough to listen to the psychologist to fight the negative voices so it's pretty good you know when you've been down for more than two weeks in a row and getting negative self-talk and tired and just no joy. The quicker you get to a doctor, then the quicker we can turn around the thought processes that lead you into a depressive or anxious state. So they're the things that are happening. Don't be scared of meds. If you do get it put on meds, please don't take yourself off when you feel better because you'll just go down again. And if you are put on meds for oh you know, because you've been punched so many times, you know, in life, um yep. you know, don't be scared. John, I say that, you know, the cliche Life is a game, you know, we've probably all heard. Well, if it yeah. was a game, John, it would be rugby league or AFL, we're all going to get the shit bashed out of us at times. Mm-hmm. That is it. So I would say to every guy listening that what, um, whatever job you've had, whatever you've done in life, be proud of yourself. I'm, I was a professional athlete for 10 years, but every job I've had has had more pressure on it than being a professional athlete, whereas professional athletes now, the biggest, meanest, toughest of them, They put their hand up to go and get help and everyone thinks if their game's not on and everyone thinks it's a wonderful thing. Well, boys, the game of life is harder than rugby league or AFL. You get more hits. The toughest men who play and women who play those sports, it's just normalised now to go and get help. Also that every job you've had, you know, every job you've had, I've been a labourer all the way through to a business owner. I've never had a job that's been easier than playing professional sport. So be proud of yourself. If you don't work, you don't get paid. You've all been in the game big time. So be proud of yourselves. And um, in the game of life as well, we've just got to realise that it's hard. We have beautiful times, wins and celebrations, but there is times in life when we get smashed. And um, don't take it personal. That is life. But just know that when it happens, we've got to get help. So,
1: Wayne, um, I, I... I applaud you for uh, for the things you've just said, um, especially uh, about going to a GP and starting there and and pouring your heart out. I think that's um, uh, that's so important because that's that is that first step, and and I think that's uh, that's where people really need uh, a hand. Um, when you started to get well, how how did things change for you?
2: John, I, um, well, you know, I actually was pretty bad. You know, I, I got to a real bad point. So, um, I actually took a few months. The other thing to mention is that sometimes if you do need meds, it, it takes a few months to get it right. It might not be the first hit because it's not an exact science and we're all a little bit different. If you do, um, go and you know, you do need meds, which we all not a lot of us don't, but if you do, and if it doesn't work at first, you've got to let the doctor know, because they can change it round. For me it took probably three, four months to get it right. For me, John, I was sitting on the back porch one day and I'd always struggled, always. And um I was sitting on the back porch at my home and all of a sudden I just looked at the trees and they looked green and greener and the sky looked bluer. And all of a sudden I had a kind of calm feeling. I felt okay. I felt, I think it was good. And I realized it was the first time in my life I probably ever felt what we define as normal. So it was pretty mind boggling. Um, And then, you know, from there, you do, if you do go and seek help, you've also got to listen to what they tell you. So, you know, I've got to, we've, we've lost the ability to be proud and love ourselves. John, like we filmed 100 guys, not Black Dog, I did this for a filmmaker mate of mine, and we filmed a 100 guys, you know, 10 through to 70, all cultures from all places, and we asked them what they loved about, you know, their family, their friends, and straight away they told us. And then we said, what do you like and love and appreciate about yourself? Most of the guys couldn't say anything. Mm. so it's you know for me it's really important to you know for me I even found it hard to look at old football videos to feel good about myself I'd, I'd put them on and go oh you're big head you can't look at this you can't feel good about the past yeah but it's really important to be proud of yourself for the things you would have done in your life and that's getting to work and supporting your family or supporting yourself and you know being a good friend when you have been and, and trying to be the best whatever so you know it's, so I give myself five minutes a day or I try to when I look in the mirror and said, you know, you're a good man, you did your best, you know, be proud of yourself because we all get voices of what failures and we all get, we all, the negative thoughts come in uninvited. We've got to invite the good ones in. Yep. So once you do seek help, you know, you've got to practice and, you know, the simplistic things of life that when we get a bit older, we know the simple things are the most beautiful things. You've got to keep yourself grounded. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of what you have done in your life and how hard you tried. Um, and, you know, John, the exercise is important, but it's really hard as we get older to get that. But when you get a sweat up, the body produces nature's antidepressant, which is endorphins. One of the problems we have with the young generation is because they're playing computer games and not getting out and about like we used to, they're not producing nature's antidepressant. And when you exercise and get a sweat up, it also burns cortisol. Cortisol is the um, chemical that causes stress. But as we get older and we can't get out and exercise like that, we also get caught up with not producing those chemicals. But mm-hmm. the shortcuts are there. <laughs> for me, honestly, if you get into a sauna or a steam room, for me it's like running ten k's on a hot day. I come out and I'm. It really produces the endorphins, burns a cortisol, and you'll feel a lot better. I've probably put I put hundreds of people onto that. If you can't get to a sauna or a spa, just try the really hot bath, you know, when you can hardly get in and when you get used to it, you put a bit more hot water in it so when you get out, you sweat. That's a really good way to bring yourself up a little bit so you can start working on the other. So there are just a couple of tips I had to throw in there, mate. Wayne,
1: I I, I can't thank you enough. This chat has been absolutely invaluable and it's going to help an awful lot of people out there. Especially, like I said before, your 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 number one move is to go to a GP and start there, and uh, and also the other most important thing is um, don't think that um, that you're cheating or or taking the chicken's way out by seeking help.
2: No, You're taking a bright mate. Join the man's. You know we're redefining masculinity, John. You know, like I'm a pretty hard bloke. And I'm, you know, it's, but the most beautiful thing if masculinity I've ever did was get help. Because I tell you, then my, what happened was, John, my young bloke had been hiding it. As soon as I got to that help, he put his hand up. And I tell you, look, the word went round about me, and I know it's a very private thing for a lot of people, but for me, you know, I'm sure it's like that in the music circles, once something, once people hear about it, it goes right, well, You know, everyone hears about it. With me, I started, everyone heard about it in the rugby league community. Well, what happened was I started getting phone calls from some of the toughest men that ever played rugby league that I hadn't even heard or seen for 10, 20 years, going, why I heard what happened, mate? I think I'm struggling as well. So, you know, you will help others. You will encourage those in your family. And I know that if you're struggling with it, lads, that the last thing you would want to think that your family members or anyone you love is hiding it and struggling with it too, well, you can break that by putting your hand up and setting that example. It's a tough, great thing to do, and that's what we should be looking at as men.
1: Wayne, once again, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I think this has been a wonderful conversation uh, to shine a light on uh, Men's Health Week. Um, Wayne Wiggum from Black Dog Institute Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Got a question? Ask the Doc. It's important to understand what might be stopping us from seeking help when we need it. To talk about barriers and what we can do about them, we invited Healthy Mail's Health Content Manager, Associate Professor Tim Moss, to join us
0: on Ask the Doc. Over to you, Stuart. We wouldn't ignore a noise from the timing chain, a wheel bearing or a brake grinding sound. From the front wheels, or a sudden drop off in the car's performance, because we know these things often lead to bigger problems in our cars. You can take the same approach with your health and well being. When we leave things too long before getting help, it can take a lot longer to fix. So, today we're going to look at and into five barriers that prevent personal health and well being. I'm Stuart Torrance, the Men's Health Project Officer for the Australian Men's Shared Association, and today we're joined with Associate Professor Tim Moss, Content Manager for Healthy Male, our men's health partner. Welcome, Tim. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Stuart. Pleased to be here. Excellent. So, Tim, tell us a bit about the five barriers we are focusing on this year.
3: There are these things called barriers to help-seeking, things that get in the way of people asking for help when they need it, and they're particularly important when it comes to health, of course. Uh, Like you said, we wouldn't tolerate a rattle in the timing chain. Um, There are barriers that are, you know, standard across all sorts of places. Things like the cost of healthcare can get in the way. Uh, There might not be health services that are suitable for you where you live, for example.
0: Yeah, location.
3: Yeah, yeah. And then there are other things that seem to be particularly important when it comes to men seeking help to keep themselves healthy. So that's what we're focused on for Men's Health Week this week at Healthy Male, this year at Healthy Male. Mm -hmm. So the, the uh, the five barriers that we're looking at are denial, delaying help seeking,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
3: difficulty starting conversations about health mm-hmm. and not knowing who to trust or where to go to mm-hmm. uh, when you need health information. And then the last one that's, that's I guess, the real uh, barrier for, for lots of men and boys is is the social construct of masculinity and what it means to be a man mm. and how that that kind of influences the way that we behave.
0: Okay, let's get into it. Let's have a look at denial, Tim.
3: Yep. Well, this is a, a pretty common one, um, and I'm undergoing a period of denial about a sore elbow at the moment, mate. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, well, it's it's had a bit of a niggling pain for a while and every now and again the pain gets worse, but uh, I don't know that it's really a problem. Um, I can do everything that I need to do with it. Uh, so I'll just uh, – I, I just tend to ignore it and just go about my business. Now, of course, that's not a sensible way mm. for me to behaving when – for me to behave rather – uh, when it comes to looking after myself that, you know, the problem in my elbow could be something, uh, rare and serious. And, you know, if I just went and had my doctor have a quick look at it, um, I could be reassured or I could be on the path to getting it investigated properly and making
0: sure it's not a big problem. So Tim, what you're actually doing is you're hoping it'll go away.
3: Yeah, that, that's exactly right, and and we do that a lot. We know from research that men monitor their health all the time. We are aware of our bodies and we think about how we're feeling. Mm. And if we're starting to feel crook, we keep our eye on it. And over time, what can happen is, you know, it's always been there, so we don't really consider it new and a problem. Um and what, what that does is just means that we're unlikely to go and uh, see a doctor about it or we delay seeing the doctor and this gets towards that next mm. barrier. So that what the denial does is then leads to the delay and the delay is a problem because it means that we might see our doctor later than we should mm. uh, for, for help. You know, you, you go to the doctor later in a in the course of a disease, then the outcome's worse. You don't maintain your car engine well. Mm. um, Things get worse over time, right? Stitching time saves nine, Stuart.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in in regards to the the delaying aspect, uh, taking too long, you know, um, things come to mind like um, the cancer treatments that are available. They're only good if you get them early enough.
3: Yeah, that, that's right. Well, probably for just about any disease, the earlier you intervene, the better. And, of course, we take good enough care of our engines from the get-go. They don't develop problems, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, our, our, our bodies are not quite the perfect mechanical machine. We know there are some cancers that affect uh, men and women equally in equal numbers But when we look at the data about the outcomes, it looks like, in general, things tend to be worse in men. And sometimes that's due to differences in biology between males and females. But there are plenty of examples in medicine where men present later with their cancer for treatment. And as a consequence, the disease is more advanced when it starts getting treated and therefore the success of the treatment is a little bit more compromised.
0: Yeah. Tim, I I noticed exactly the same thing uh, when I worked for Dementia Australia. Uh, One of the biggest problems was men actually coming early enough in their understanding of the disease, you know, they know something's wrong, but they just wouldn't seek help. Um, Mm. They wouldn't seek information. uh, They wouldn't seek a diagnosis. But in themselves, they knew something wasn't quite right. The ladies, we'd see them uh, at the drop of a hat. Um, they, they, they were in uh, checking things out the minute something just didn't feel right. But the men, for some reason, they had to uh, be brought in kicking and screaming. Uh, and they were just delaying the inevitable as far as I could see. But there was a lot of things that could have been done for them. Um, yep. to help them uh, if they'd have come in early enough. So, yeah, I think you're right. Across the board, uh, getting in early uh, and not delaying is a better way to go. Let's, let's have a look at um, starting difficult conversations. We were talking about incontinence. That's a tricky subject to bring up.
3: Of course, there's the embarrassment of the event there. But when it comes to div- difficulty difficulty starting these conversations, it's it's often the embarrassment of just raising the issue. And of course, in healthy male, we uh, deal a lot with erectile dysfunction, for example. Now, that's something that's probably much more common than we suspect. And it, it's, it's not an easy thing for a bloke to talk about, even with his partner. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, so then, finding a finding a stranger, perhaps, or a doctor who you're used to seeing for you know physical ailments like sore joints or headaches and things like that, that when that becomes more personal, um, it can be really difficult to start talking about it. What's interesting, Stuart, is that there's research that shows that people want their doctors to ask them questions about these personal matters. Yeah. And doctors think that people need to talk about these personal matters more, but they are sometimes reluctant to start the conversations themselves too,
0: yeah, yeah, so you
3: find yourself in this catch twenty two where where neither side wants to actually start the conversation, but everybody knows we need to have it,
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and everyone knows knows there's something happening like. For, for instance, talking to your partner, uh, for instance, about erectile dysfunction, uh, about incontinence and and the like, I'm sure your co- uh, your partner has uh, has noticed lack of performance, of uh, performance, uh, skid marks, um, you know, uh, wet wet um, under undergarments and uh, and the like. So they're already aware, but no one's actually having the conversation. Um, yeah, I, and, and I can see how this could stem from uh, the younger days talking about bedwetting and and having accidents at school, maybe, or all them sort of stresses that come along with that. That uh, that would be really difficult uh, yeah. conversation to have, but we must have it. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I mean, these these problems, health problems, are often signs of. Uh, something else underlying the health problem. So, you know, if it's a problem with uh, urinary continence, it might relate to your prostate. Mm. Uh, so, it, it makes good sense that you you get that seen to mm. as quick as you can. Um, with with erectile dysfunction, it might be that your your cardiovascular system needs a, a bit of a look. So, okay, uh, yeah, we, we should sit We should have our
0: symptoms diagnosed as quick as we can so tim the next one is rather interesting to me perceived trust of health information now i would have thought most people would trust their doctor um is that what we're talking about here
3: Uh, yes uh lots of people do a little research before they go to the doctor anyway Mm -hmm. so Actually identifying trusted sources that you might find information from before you go to the doctor mm-hmm. can be a concern. And, and we, we can see some, some people get misguided by health information that they read on the internet, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, trust, trust's a big one, and, and especially if we go back to those personal problems and, mm-hmm. you know, the embarrassment around, around things that you find it difficult to talk about. Our, our relationship with our doctors or whoever it is that's providing our health care is informed by our past experience with those people or people like them. Yeah. And if you've gone to a doctor before who didn't help you with your back pain or who gave you a diagnosis of one thing and some medication and you weren't getting better, so you saw another doctor and they thought it was something else and they gave you some different medication, it, it it can be difficult to to know who's right. Mm. And even when we know, you know, there are health practitioners, there are doctors, nurses, local pharmacists that we can go to for advice, even knowing who really to trust within that can be a bit of a challenge for some
0: people. And and sometimes, obviously, the, the accessibility of, of those people. Um, I know quite often I've gone to a chemist for advice, uh, rather than wait uh, to get into my doctor, because I, I knew I could see my chemist straight away. Um, but having built that trust over the years with my chemist, on you know, gone in, I've got a runny nose. What do you recommend? Um, what you know, and he'll ask all these questions and then give me the product that uh, you know uh, addresses my particular need at the time all those sort of conversations over time has has built up tra- trust between the two of us. Um, so yeah, I can see how having trust, you know, Dr. Google's not the uh, the the go-to it should be.
3: <laughs> no, no, that that's right. Hmm. I think um I think having a relationship with a doctor who you can trust is one of the most valuable things at, at least personally for me. I know it is. I got told years ago to find a GP who's the same gender as me and about the same age because they know about the sort of things that affect me. Um, And, and yeah, that's worked for me.
0: So, Tim, let's now have a look at the masculinity issue. Yeah, this is the one that I think underlies all of those others,
3: Stuart. Mm. Um, Whenever I think about this, I think about men's reluctance to ask for directions. Mm-hmm. And we get raised by our parents and our teachers and our peers and society to, you know, be strong, soldier on, uh, be independently capable. And the way that that socialisation affects our behaviour has profound influence you know it, it it influences the way that we relate to our loved ones and friends and people we work with um but it also influences the way that we behave when we when it comes to our health i can tough this out there yeah i can tough this
0: out oh, there's other others more in need than me you know that you, you you're standing up and saying you know i'm gonna put others first and right there i can see my dad um my, my dad's a, a nurse by by training, and um, you would think uh, he would be totally aware of his his medical cir- circumstances, but he always thinks, you know, there's there's that few uh, number of doctors and nurses out there. Someone always needs it more than I do, and he'll always put other people first, and he'll think he can tough it out. Um, whereas, you know, had he have gone earlier. The, the difficulties that he's faced through his life uh, probably wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, I, I think we can all
3: relate to that. I mean, and especially, I think, when we look, look at our fathers and uncles and grandfathers who, uh, you know, their, their role as provider and protector is, is so instilled in them that, uh, you know, they might delay going to the doctor or not go to the doctor because they just can't afford the time off work
0: because they need the income coming into the home. Yeah. Um, it, I think... I think um... Well, at the end of the day, Tim, there's nothing weak or soft about seeking health information because if you did uh, delay uh, and tough it out, things could get so much worse. So your, your perceived issue with, you know, uh, losing wages by taking an afternoon off to go and see the doctor could become weeks and months off, um, you know, where you're going to lose that income uh, because the health situation has got worse. Um, and that masculinity um, has, has got to change to an extent. Do you think we're doing any better these days uh, with a younger audience? Oh, Stuart I have two young
3: men and they are far better uh, than I am when it comes to taking care of themselves yeah that that masculinity also leads to men and boys taking risks with their health mm-hmm. as well um, you know and they general you know the the young people I know young men and boys that I know their health behavior in general is mm-hmm. better than what I saw of me and my peers, um, when I was their age. And, and, and I think that translates through, it extends through to, to, uh, how they behave when they're unwell. My, my bigger of my two young fellas copped COVID and was out of action for two weeks. He felt really crook. Mm -hmm. He was just getting better. And then he got the flu, um, But he's a smart young man, and he knew that he just needed to stay home and rest and get well. Um, If that was me back in the day, I don't know. I would have tried to push through and be tough.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, good on him. When seeking health advice, the best thing you can do is put your trust in the experts, reputable, science-backed online providers. Your GP for one, your your, uh, chemist for the other, and other health professionals are all out there to actually give us the information that we're seeking. You know, uh, Tim, we've talked about denial. We've talked about delaying uh, masculinity, uh, difficulty starting health conversations. Uh, But it's most important that we get the trusted information that we need there are things that you can do it yourself to manage your health and well-being eating well exercising obviously come to mind connecting with friends through the the local shed or another social type of group even looking up a health directs symptom checker and you can do this via uh, malehealth.org under the resources tab and of course there are things uh, You need to get checked on a regular basis with your body mechanic, and that's your GP and other health professionals. To keep your body in good shape and pick up the problems early, check out uh, healthymale.org.au, malehealth.org.au. They have all sorts of uh, resources available for you that you you can go through and point you in the right direction to get some good advice. Thanks so much, uh, Associate Professor Tim Moss, for your information and joining us today. Uh, Stuart, thanks heaps for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
3: And I hope we can catch up again soon, mate.
0: I'm Stuart Torrance, and this is your lot from Ask the Doc. Until next time, look after your health and wellbeing. Thank you. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to malehealth.org.au. Everything you hear on the Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor.
1: Well, that's the wrap for an episode on some pretty tough stuff. There's really nothing more important than looking after your health and to borrow Wayne's words, we can help change some of the perceptions about masculinity and toughing it out by simply putting our hand up when we need a bit of help. You can visit malehealth.org.au for loads of information on all aspects of your health and well-being, or book in that long consult with your GP for an annual service. Until next time, folks, goodbye. It don't matter if you work with wood, fabricating metal is the thing you understood. Whatever is your game, everyone. Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy ball In the shed, it's welcome one and all Share the skills you know We're all having a go There's a helping hand in the men's shed